0: Hello and welcome, you are listening to Patient Talk Podcast, delivered to you by OmniHealth Insights. In this month's episode, recorded in partnership with National Reference Laboratory, I'll be chatting with Dr. James Donnelly, Technical Director at National Reference Laboratory in the UAE, to learn about how the NRL approached COVID-19 testing, including new innovations and technologies, and how he sees future management of a pandemic. Let's start by talking about the pandemic. So I personally have been very, very impressed by the supreme efforts of lab professionals and frontline health workers alike. It's been a tremendous battle against the virus and of course the the fight continues uh, to this day. But I was personally tested I think uh, once or twice in Dubai when based and the efficiency blew me away. So um, let's go back to when a pandemic emerged in the early months of uh, 2020, which uh, Feels a while ago already. What went on in your mind when the need suddenly emerged for uh, rapid testing in the UAE? Did this take you by surprise, or were you anticipating this need?
1: Well, first I have to disclose I wasn't in the UAE at that time. I've been in the UAE since the fall of 2020, but I'm very aware of what happened here and and what went on. But I was in the states, and again the same thing. It was a scramble to try to find tests that would actually be a benefit to individuals, but well, I know exactly what happened here, and and the the efforts of NRL have been heroic. Uh, really remarkable at what the people were able to do in, in the teams. They set up labs almost overnight, and these labs were fully vetted. They were fully validated, and clearly they were labs that uh, the performance at that time and the performance today are exactly the same. So really an amazing, heroic challenge for them. They were able to take PCR to the many thousands within a matter of days, The scale-up was incredible, the number of samples that were coming in was remarkable, and everyone rose to the challenge. I I know people were working around the clock, and people still work around the clock on COVID, but literally at that time, people were up in the middle of the night releasing results to make sure that they could have the turnaround time and and have the responsiveness that everyone needs for reacting to COVID. I would say the UAE and NRL specifically met this challenge in ways that I haven't seen in, in my home country is really a tremendous effort.
0: What are the reasons for the team embracing this so quickly? Because it must have been a massive burden, at least initially. Were there any new processes introduced? Was there any uh, mental health uh, support offered, uh, knowing that uh, people worked around the clock to to, to deal with this?
1: No, I, I think mental health probably would have been dealt with by people on an individual basis. But clearly, the team itself served as a support group for everybody else. This company works as a family there's no other way to describe it people just dropped everything that they needed to drop to be able to manage this why did they do it simply because it was it was required of them this pandemic is like nothing we've seen in our lifetime we've lived through major traumas everyone has experienced one or two major traumas you know some of them are widespread public like 9/11 things of that nature but but this is an ongoing trauma that i think individuals were able to rise up to and also, it's quite therapeutic if you're actually helping other people. I believe that that was something that that sort of kept people strong. But but literally, the, you know, somebody would have to wake up in the middle of the night and start reporting out results because it was their turn to do so. Um, they could do it from their home in some cases. And I I know the, the same way it was in the States and everywhere else around the globe, people were uncertain at that time and scared, literally scared. I clearly have never experienced anything like this. and i hope this is the one time in my life that i do experience something like this in terms of mental health that really wasn't an issue it was more of how would they scale up how would they be able to do this and and certainly uh, we were lucky enough to have vendors that were able to provide us with supplies that we we desperately needed at that time swabs pcr kits all of the components that you need to have successful testing so we were fortunate in that case because there were shortages globally for all of that uh, type of material. And um, we just we, we built a, uh, and expanded a BCL3 lab, a, a, a containment lab, to be able to process these specimens on the fly while we were actually doing the testing. So it was remarkable at what people did here.
0: Were there any challenges or even failures that you encountered, at least in the initial months? of testing and and how did you overcome these?
1: I would have to say that because we work in a risk-based type environment where we actually can't afford to have failures, healthcare just doesn't have room for error that way. So you're always anticipating and and asking yourself, what could go wrong? What do I need to do for the next steps? So no, there, there were no failures that would count as anything. Everything worked well. The testing worked properly. There were no situations where we really had uh, any delays in testing. That would be what we would consider a failure.
0: And so, what was it like in terms of working with um, other stakeholders? So, no doubt, this this was a time of intense pressure. Everyone was expected to, you know, to perform around the clock, and and you know, in response to this uh, this huge crisis, unprecedented crisis. What was it like in terms of working with or collaborating with other stakeholders, and and even reporting back
1: from that perspective? It, It's more or less everyone's trying to do everything they can as quickly as possible and as safely as possible. Uh, Our turnaround time here was remarkable in terms of getting PCRs back to individuals. Clearly at the start, there was a tooling up to be able to get to that point, but now we have a turnaround time that's measured in hours. uh, Whereas uh, I was in the States and my turnaround time was measured in days uh, for me to even get a test to move to the UAE. Simply put, Our capacity here and our responsiveness here to satisfy our customers' needs was unprecedented from what I've seen in other locations.
0: Let's talk about the nature of the virus itself. So, you know, it's not the first coronavirus. Certainly, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, mystery (laughs) surrounding it uh, still to this day. People not knowing the exact origin of a virus, you know, that's become a, a political issue in a sense now, rightly or wrongly the very nature of a virus remains, I, I suppose, um you know up to a certain point a, a mystery. What were your initial thoughts around it when the coronavirus was uh, discovered and and uh, how did you approach this in a lab?
1: Well, on a personal basis, my my first concerns were when Wuhan actually was locked down uh, and uh, other major cities in in China were locked down. for them to go to that effort in extreme, clearly this was going to be something big how how it affects our functioning at work we have a business continuity team and that team actually uh, looks at maintaining our business through crises like this and we were able to to do so uh, the virus itself is a coronavirus and we're no strangers to coronaviruses we have a, a number of them that um, form part of what we call the common cold there's lots of viruses that do that but there's a, a few coronaviruses that, take turns and sweep the globe every year. So they take a year off because of our immune system and then they come back again. Uh, And the ones that were there that year get the next year off. In other words, their infectivity goes lower because herd immunity allows us to keep them from spreading. This virus is very different in the sense that, so far, it doesn't really show any seasonal activity. And one thing to keep in mind is because so many people in the world are infected with this virus right now, It has the opportunity that many viruses don't have to hone its practice. Its viruses are are very unstable, and this is an RNA virus. It is allowed to mutate, and if a mutation is successful, that virus will dominate. If the mutation isn't successful, that virus will just go away, and it continues to hone itself. And that's why you hear about variants coming out and now variants of concern. Usually a virus, when it mutates like that, becomes less deadly because it wants to biologically speaking it it wants to spread to more people but to do so it has to keep people alive otherwise uh, if it killed you in the first day for example it, it would be a situation where the virus wouldn't be very successful at spreading would it so nature usually attenuates these viruses however because this virus say is most infectious during the first period um The actual morbidity and mortality that can occur later on with this virus uh, isn't accounted for in its evolution. Its ability to uh, spread is still there because it's spreading in the very first period. What's unique about it is we know a lot about this virus even though as you say it still is a bit of a mystery. The concerns with this virus are that it is binding to a receptor in our bodies that uh, the ACE receptor that are very common in in many different cell types. And so the the different types of infections you can get are widespread. And that's why you see such a a spectrum of disease with this. And of course our immune system does its best to try to fight off this virus. And as it does it, it also harms us as well in some cases, unfortunately. So the virus itself has a number of proteins on the actual uh, uh, virus surface that, that we can use to study it and make assays with to be able to determine whether or not somebody has a, a previous infection, somebody has a no infection, somebody is vaccinated and has a response.
0: You mentioned new variants that have emerged. I mean, like these partly fill me with uh, fear and apprehension. I mean, like seeing, for instance, be a uh, hybrid that's emerging in Vietnam, which is a combination of the uh, the so-called Indian variants and, and, and the British <laughs> version how are you responding to all these uh, mutations um, and, and variants i mean are you, are you having to change your approach in the lab
1: at at this point we don't have to change our approach in the lab uh, essentially these variants can be captured by uh, if if you're doing pcr there there um, the manufacturers are are very uh, big on surveillance of these to make sure that their products will detect and in terms of the antibody testing uh world health organization and the vendors themselves are making sure that we are not going to see something where uh, a a test would not detect either the antibodies or the virus itself. Those are key things that 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 kind of surveillance has to go on and and typically does go on in industry. HIV, for example, that those types of surveillance has been going on for years. So this is nothing new. But what's new is it's happening faster simply because there's so many people out there in the world that are infected.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Have you introduced technologies or innovations to the lab since the emergence of the pandemic?
1: Yeah, very much so. The traditional PCR, which uh, of course can be used to uh, detect the RNA of the virus. And then there's rapid testing, which is commercially available that we do as well as necessary. We've now uh, brought in what we consider is a, a very new technology, which is viral antigen testing. And that viral antigen testing is very useful because if you have a high prevalence population or you're trying to put people onto an airplane, for example, and you want to know that you're reducing your risk of exposure, but not necessarily needing it to be a perfect test, then a viral test is very quick and not terribly expensive compared to PCR and technologically easier to do. And that will help you understand whether that population getting on an airplane, if somebody's really really, really shedding virus, they'll detect it. And in the UK right now, in fact, most citizens, I believe, can get two antigen tests a week, and that's to help reduce the viral load, so to speak, walking around in the population. The prevalence is high enough that it's worth the while for the government to fund that type of testing. So antigen testing is one. We have various different types of antibody tests. Now, Traditionally, we would look at IgG, IgA, IgM when we're doing uh, serology tests. That's all thrown out the window with this one. We just want to know if you have antibodies and, and total antibodies um, are, are really what we need to, to look at right now. So G and M are the, the target antibodies. Normally G comes up after M, in terms of a viral response but but that's neither here nor there with this virus in fact you could have g coming up the same time as m it just doesn't matter to us at this point we just want to know you have antibodies but then we want to know what the antibodies are directed to so if you've had the pfizer vaccine or or sinopharm then you'll have antibodies to what we call spike proteins the virus is called a coronavirus for a good reason it has what looks like little spikes coming off of it, making it look a lot like a crown or a corona from the sun. And so those little spikes are the proteins that we want to measure and are also the proteins that are used in the vaccines to make you immune to it. As we measure those, we can tell if somebody's been vaccinated. We can tell if somebody's had a prior infection, but we can't tell which is which. So we also have something called the nucleocapsid n assay and that one is used to be able to let us know if somebody has had a prior natural infection and if they've had the natural infection still doesn't stop them from getting the vaccine and so we can measure the titers the concentrations of those antibodies later on the next test that we brought in is a neutralizing antibody test and this is becoming very important as more people are vaccinated the neutralizing antibody test and it's a surrogate test but it gives you a very good indication as to whether or not your immune system from the antibody sense is actually going to help you fight off the virus. So eventually down the road we think that this could be useful for a number of reasons. Drug companies right now that are vaccinating individuals and doing trials on vaccinations are using What's your threshold where you actually are maybe going to be at higher risk to get the virus again after you've been vaccinated? And if we get to a point where we say you're safe here, you don't need a vaccination, or we're able to say we can pinpoint every six months you'll need a vaccination or every two years you'll need a vaccination, that's really something that's going to help around the world, not just in the UAE, but really be critical for us to manage this and get away from being in a pandemic and hopefully looking at a post-pandemic phase. But this virus will be with us forever.
0: Yeah, I certainly uh, get that, uh, that that feeling myself. But you mentioned a post-pandemic future and uh, that brings me on to the next question, which you probably partly answered anyway, which is, so the Independent Panel for Pandemic uh, Preparedness, which is uh, co-chaired by Helen Clark, they recently released a report which offered recommendations into how to avoid the next pandemic, I guess, and uh, and so one of the uh, recommendations was to uh, scale up diagnostic uh, testing around the world, which at the moment remains to be achieved properly, I guess. What advice or insights would you have to listeners, maybe they're based in governments worldwide, policymakers, what needs to be done in order to scale up testing on a global level? What what uh, insight can you, can you provide into that?
1: this has to be unified. You need a global communication coordination effort, which World Health Organization is very capable of doing, and they are doing right now. But you need the buy-in of all the governments, as opposed to public good. And public good is something that we absolutely need to focus on when it comes to pandemics. This has been recognized for years. This is not new. And clearly now, I think we've seen enough of One virus that we know that next time this comes around, we better be ready for it. And to do so, you need to be able to recognize the emerging pathogen. It doesn't necessarily need to be a virus and to be able to respond to it. Now, we know after experiencing this that we can mobilize and get to that point very quickly. But to be able to have the technology shared amongst Manufacturers, for example, and um, uh, health departments and regulatory groups around the world in a very short period of time, I think would be a world of difference at reducing the mortality that we've experienced with this virus. I mean, clearly, there's been great cost to us, both for those that we've lost, those that have survived and, you know, dealing with the losses that they have.
0: So, you know, we, we need better international cooperation, coordination, you know, people sharing information, more transparency, I guess. Has there been much liaising with researchers in China, for instance, from where the virus came?
1: That's not something that we're involved with here at NRL. We blazed with uh, some cut manufacturers that have assays where they've been able to test with um, subjects that... Uh, Had been in Wuhan but at the same time our primary focus is the UAE and maintaining the health of the citizens of the UAE and the residents and to that extent we've been working with the health department here on various prevalence studies. We're embarking into a second prevalence study right now and we're considering to be able to support a um, vaccination seroprevalence immunogenicity study as well. So these all contribute to the UAE and ultimately in the end as that data gets shared globally Uh, that helps other people throughout the world. The UAE has one very unique feature, I think only Singapore has this as well, is that much of the uh, manpower that is uh, relied upon in this country comes from external sources, and we have dormitory-style living for many of the workers that come here. And so it became a, a, a very concentrated area where we were able to do seroprevalence studies in ways that other people can't do in other parts of the world and, and clearly you know our, our main goal is to make sure that every individual in the UAE is protected from this virus as much as possible but but the studies that were done both on citizens but what we're doing is we're understanding how the virus spreads within various environments within the UAE and it's really shown a, a, a lot of data that has helped us and will help us in the future with any future outbreaks this virus or others.
0: Is ongoing testing a sign of things to come? I mean, will testing become, you know, part of everyday life, the fabric of everyday life? I mean, I I think it's taken us all all by surprise to some extent. I mean, I remember when seeing videos of of a nasal swab that had emerged uh, last year and and it filled me with surprise. But now we've become accustomed to testing. You know, we we go to the airport, we're tested. Before we fly out, we're tested. So, you know, testing has become a part of the uh, everyday lexicon and and everyday habits. Even after the pandemic, do you see testing as being A ritual or a habit in our lives?
1: It likely will and clearly it's different from influenza where yes there is testing and that testing is useful on a very limited basis in some ways because we do have good therapies. As therapies change for this virus too Mm. then maybe testing will become even more critical especially earlier in the the infection or pre-infection period. But to get back to what you were saying in terms of the everyday The one thing this virus has done is it propelled labs to the forefront of uh, something that individuals now understand uh, what kind of services are available to them. It's almost like the whole globe is turned into immunologists, serologists, and virologists all at once. People have much more knowledge now than I've ever seen before in in terms of lab functioning and and a a level of maturity in in being able to discuss their tests. I, I think that in itself is a very positive thing. Will testing go away? No, testing won't go away. It's we don't know for sure exactly who to test, when to test and why to test until we have more information at that point. But yes, testing will be around because this virus will not go away. It has to be managed in a way that we can get back to normal as best normal be here in the world, I just want to be able to get away from wearing a mask that will make me very happy Um, and not being fearful of being in an elevator uh, with somebody who sneezes or coughs. But testing will always be around how we test what we end up testing as we learn more about the virus and the disease will change, of course, and evolves. This is a living activity. Normally it doesn't happen so quickly. You look at hepatitis, that virus Evolves, but it doesn't evolve to the speed that we're seeing right now. And hopefully, COVID, as as the numbers go down, uh, will slow down and it's um, changing uh, uh, the infection patterns and, and and just its infectivity.
0: Do you see uh, technology playing a bigger role? I know we uh, spoke briefly about technology earlier, but um, you know we're seeing a lot of you know growth in artificial intelligence, for instance. Um, is there a potential for AI to be involved in all of this? to make testing more efficient in, in some ways or other still limitations?
1: AI sort of has a role in almost anything that we'd want to do. And it, it, it certainly is a, a the current it term, but at the same time, yes, AI is going to be able to teach us to understand. I mean, we have a wealth of data on, on what's happened in the past year and, and change to be able to understand how this happened what we can do to avoid it. And so AI is definitely going to have a big role in that. In terms of testing itself, it's hard to imagine right now where exactly it would fit in, maybe in larger population-based testing, or or maybe to be able to flag when something needs to be done, sentinel events, when we need to shut down a location. Those are important things to be able to understand and, and understand where we can get our surveillance data. You know, even Facebook, people are complaining about the flu, you know where the flu is. So, yes, AI definitely has a role and, and it probably is going to be in less traditional ways than, than our normal healthcare surveillance. It could be working through social platforms, things of that nature. But again, that's an area that is beyond my, uh, my area of, of expertise and need to work at, at this point.
0: Moving on from technology to, um, you know, I guess this is more of a uh, policy consideration, but should should testing become a, a mandatory thing? I mean, you know, at, at the moment, I mean, like there are people who refuse to be tested or testing is limited to certain areas, you know, like if you, or certain activities, like if you're flying, then, you know, you're, you're expected to be tested. But, you know, I remember, well, you know, obviously I'm, I'm from the UK, you know, last year there were no mandatory tests required for arrival into UK airports. Does that need to be changed, you know, around the world?
1: Now, if it comes to getting on an airplane or or putting people around you at risk, then definitely I'm all for mandatory testing. I I would not ever expect somebody's opinion or rights to freedom, as some people say, uh, to put other people at risk. In other words, you have a responsibility to society. We all do. And and that's one of the reasons why people get vaccinated is not necessarily for them. It's for everyone around them it's for their grandparents it's for their parents their children their friends their neighbors anyone they touch it doesn't matter who who that person is you're actually getting vaccinated for them so i i i wouldn't comment on mandatory but i would comment on on saying it, it it's in everybody's best interest to be tested as you need to be tested at the right time right test right patient that's always been there in in healthcare now in terms of vaccinations that again, is the kind of thing where various situations could arise where uh, it's better just to let vaccinated people take part in those as opposed to non-vaccinated people. Again, I'm not in a policy and that's just my personal opinion. But, you know, we're here to make sure everyone else is healthy and safe around us.
0: Let's talk about the future again. This is going to be the last question, unfortunately, (laughs) because we're running out of time. But it's, um, you know, it's one of my favourite questions, looking ahead into a crystal ball. There's been a lot of talk around post-pandemic future. Where are we're in a pandemic currently, it's probably a very difficult question to answer. And how do you see this changing in terms of, you know, testing and and, and lab work? No doubt has been, you know, a huge amount of change over the past year or so. How do you see this changing in the, in the future?
1: I can certainly say that for myself and also for NRL, that testing is something that people need in their life and the best way to, to do it is to make sure it's as convenient and as comfortable and, and seamless as possible to be able to get them tested and, and tested quickly. So where I see testing, it will be part of our future, of course, but I think what everyone needs to do on a, a regional global level is to make sure that testing is as convenient as possible and easy as possible for everybody to get. Access is critical and varies greatly from country to country, but certainly in the UAE access is remarkable here. It's really pleasure to be here after seeing how difficult it was to get testing prior to moving here from North America. What I can say is NRL is committed to making sure that testing is as convenient as possible. It can be for our clients.
0: I certainly share that sentiment as a as a resonance here in the UAE. It's been very efficient and I and I feel very safe and and very grateful considering thanks to all the all the professionals like yourself who made this happen. Massive team efforts. So, so thank you very much uh, for your time. You know, it's been very interesting You know, hearing about all of this and it's, it's really a fascinating area. And I hope it will grow the lab profession and uh, in, in exciting ways and help keep us all safe in the coming months. So thanks again for your time.
1: It's my pleasure. It's great talking to you, Matt. Thank you.
0: Thanks once again to Dr. James Donnelly at National Reference Laboratory. If you're interested in more episodes in this podcast series, Featuring voices driving change in healthcare, go to insights.omnia-health.com slash patient-talk-podcast.